Welcome to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. All right, welcome to yet another week of the Content Lab podcast. I hope you are all having a delightful day as you're listening to this. I am, um, but I'm also having one of those days where even though I'm kind of like positive Pammy, bouncing around, having a good time, I'm also um, dry heaving just slightly with panic about how much I have to get done today. More specifically, I have... um, I have a handful of website pages that I need to write from scratch today before like 3.30. And even though writing is my job, I still think getting a writing project off the ground is really hard and completely terrifying. And I spend a lot of time, there's actually time built in my process just to have the freak out and the feelings of being a fraud and a failure before I actually start writing. Um, Yeah, in case you're wondering, yes, I literally have a job where part of the process is self-loathing because I like pain and that's just where we are. But you are not here today to be my content therapist. You are here because you are ready for another fantastic conversation that's going to help you create better content. And that's just what we're going to do today. I've invited Melanie Spring, who is a dear friend of mine from back in the day when I used to live in Washington, D.C., And she is a killer brand strategist. Today, we're talking about the concept of brand storytelling. And I know, I know, it's a buzzwordy phrase that a lot of folks think that marketers like me have completely ruined, just like everything else in the world. But that doesn't change the fact that brands that know how to tell their story effectively and authentically will always outperform those that don't. So that's why we're going back to that concept of brand storytelling today. We're going to talk about what it is, why it matters, how to do it well. And I'm not, it doesn't matter if you're like a big, big company or you're just someone who's trying to develop your own personal brand that really connects with people. This conversation is for you. But of course, before I kick it over to my interview, as always, don't forget to stick around for the one thing and the weekly awesome. But with that, And without further ado, here is my talk with Melanie. Well, I am very excited to welcome someone who I feel this is like a long overdue thing. Melanie freaking Spring (laughs) is the guest on the Content Lab. I am so excited to have you on here because I just realized I think the first time I ever met you in person was at a social media day event mm-hmm. at a science club in DC back when that was a thing. Like I sponsored it. I was one of the main hosts for it. Yeah, I remember. It's just crazy that like that was a thing. God, is it not a thing anymore? I don't know. I don't follow that stuff anymore. So I don't know. Maybe this my scene- introverted side is like, man. <laughs> <laughs> the scene has just changed so much. But anyway, right. okay, so I know who you are. Mm-hmm. But for the listeners at home, Who are you? What do you do? What are you into? Well, I'm Melanie freaking Spring, which I'm totally using that from now on because (laughs) why not? And I am a brand strategist for the first part of my career and then have become a speaker trainer on accident, which has been really fun. And I help people own their brand. I help people from companies to people to whatever in between. I help teams understand what their brand is and then be able to own it, be able to understand their own brand personally so that they can own it 
And then also people who get on stage can own their brand and actually not be speakers, quote unquote, but be themselves and actually speak who they are. Okay. I have a quick question before we dive yeah. into our actual topic for today. <laughs> brand ownership. I, you use that quite a bit there in your explainer. What, what exactly does owning your brand mean? So we all walk around with a brand and most of us don't actually own it. Most people are like, oh yeah, that person is such and such and this is how they are. And we're like, wait, that's how people describe me. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So we have these brands that we walk around with, but we're not ever like owning them. We don't take them in. We don't describe them. We have no idea how to explain them to people, but we're really like, oh, okay, maybe we could actually like take ownership of them and understand I am this and this is who I am and this is how I show up and this is how I want people to know me. So being able to own that and take that in and go, that's me, instead of, oh, that's how people describe me. I didn't know that. That's, that's usually how most people believe their brand is. So I know you said you work with individuals, but who are some of the brands that you've worked with as well? So I did a lot of DC stuff because, as you know, I lived in DC for 11 years. The podcast listeners don't, but that's how Liz and I know each other. But <laughs> I, um, I worked with a lot of associations in DC, like the Mathematical Association of America and the National Apartment Association and different places like that. But I also got a chance to work with Five Guys, which is based in Manassas or just south in Virginia. And we were able to get their brand book together because they know their brand. You know their brand. Everybody knows who the Five Guys Burgers and Fries is. But they didn't know how to talk about it. Like everything is white and crisp with red and like they have the right like outfits. It looks branded, but mm -hmm. they couldn't speak the branding. And that was the part where they had to figure out who are we as a brand and how can we show up the way we need to and how do we own the brand because even the team was like, we don't have core values. Like we have core values, but we don't really have core values. So like, how can we own that for ourselves? That is really cool. And I also remember one time I felt particularly jealous because you know I love beer. And I saw you, I think, doing a workshop at Bell's Brewery. Bell's Brewery. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Kalamazoo, Michigan loves me for some reason. It's like, I'm from Western New York and I think Michigan is like Western New York. So I feel like I connect with the Michiganders really easily. Especially since, you know, New York State looks like a hand this way and then Michigan looks like a hand this way. So it's like you have your, your sideways hand and then your mitten hand. Then I always like the mitten. I love <laughs> Michigan as a mitten. I'm here on the mitten. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that five guys story you were just telling because that really leads nicely into what we're talking about today, which is how to effectively be a brand storyteller. But I want to preface this by saying I was talking with a few friends of mine who do not work in marketing. And I don't know if you have this experience, but trying to explain what you do as a marketer to non-marketers, mm -hmm. like no. immediately, like eyes are rolling into the back of their head. They're zoning out. They're being, and they'll always come back with some quippy, oh, so you're the people who like dupe me into buying things. And then I just say, yes, and I continue to drink. But... <laughs> One of the concepts that has always confounded people when I try to explain it to them is brand storytelling. And I, and I get it because you and I were talking about this before we started recording. Like your, your boyfriend, Dan, has a t-shirt that says marketers ruin everything. Yes. And it's like brand storytelling is a concept when it first came on the scene, people kind of liked it. It sounded romantic. It sounded amazing. Mm -hmm. And now I hear people telling me like, oh, that's just a BS term marketers made up to stay employed. Right. So what I want to talk to you about today is what is brand storytelling and why it actually is so freaking important? 
Well, it's the human to human connection, I think, the, the, which I call H to H, the B to B, B to C, you know, everyone has their business to consumer, business to business. And I've been preaching H to H forever. Like I even have the kick-ass humans club because I'm like, we're all humans and we're talking to humans. Why can't we just be like human in their human language and talk like that? And if we go back to the beginning of time, we started by telling stories. That's how we shared with each other was storytelling. And then for some reason, when you know the industrial revolution happened, they decided to stop doing that, which didn't make any sense. So they would give little bits and pieces, like snippets of that, but it didn't really help people understand how they were a part of it until like, I think the 1950s when brand storytelling came back on the scene and you started seeing the woman with the vacuum all happy, vacuuming her house with her kids and her husband walking in the door. <laughs> you know, like you use that brand storytelling to help people go, oh, this is the American dream and you want to be a part of it. So it's brand storytelling has been around for a long time, but you know, we like to play with buzzwords a lot. So I, I think of myself as a storyteller, but I also feel like everybody's a storyteller and yes, we can put a, a label on it, but it's not anything new. It's just, how can we do it from who we are? Like I was saying, owning our brand and saying, this is how we tell stories as a company or as a, as a person. So that's, I would say that's where it all comes from is the, the ability to, share stories from an intrinsic perspective, not just, okay, how can we dupe them into getting the thing that we have? How can we help them understand that this is something that will help them? What's the big, one of the biggest challenges that I've faced though throughout my career is, you know, those organizations where they may not necessarily be selling something, you know, their product or service may not be sexy. It may not naturally or at first glance lend itself to a human story or element, mm-hmm. you know, like a perfect example is insurance. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, or, or an IT firm that sells managed services to other businesses. Mm-hmm. How do you start broaching the, the idea of brand storytelling with, with clients who may initially go, well, you know, that works for everybody, but me, we are different. We're just not that exciting. Which is funny because every business is sexy in some way. So I only used to work with professional services company, which I used to, one of my little like offline taglines was I make boring look sexy. (laughs) That's awesome. Because like literally they're like, oh, we're a professional services company. So we have to be boring. And I'm like, why, why do you have to be boring? If you stood out, like if I could find one real estate agent that I could literally just say anything I wanted, I could take their brand and put it in front of them the way that they should do it for themselves, then I could finally go, look, you stand out in a market of really boring stuff. (laughs) It's amazing how it doesn't take much in those kinds of industries to make something look sexy. But the human element of it is they forget that they're humans and they forget that they're talking to humans and they're like, Oh, we don't have any of those kinds of stories. And like even managed services has stories. Like I work with VMware and trace three, they do managed services, but they have stories of the people that they've helped and the lives that they've changed because of the things that they're doing and how their company and like the products that they're using, even though it's internal and boring, when you come down to it, they still get a chance to talk about the people who are using it and how they're using it and why it's making their lives easier. So it's, they're all human stories. 
I love that. And I really love, especially that managed services uh, example, because that's really starting to get to, when I look at a lot of technology companies, we worked with one a long time ago and I was working with them on a, on a content style guide workshop where it's like brand voice and, and how do you figure out like what you're going to sound like. And when we started getting into their why, eventually technology had nothing to do with it. What they were there to do is help solve real people problems. And right. the solution by which they did that was technologically based. Mm-hmm. But it was about still the humans and the people and making it easier for people to work together with fewer barriers. Totally. Yeah. And it's being able to make sure that you can kind of go into the, I mean, it, it's as simple as asking one of your clients, like what, what's something that we've done that's helped you in your life and your work and your whatever. And how can we tell that story for you? People want to tell their stories. They want to share their stuff. Even if it seems boring to them, they want to be able to share it so that they can get their information out so that people can go, oh, I want to be like them. I want my life to be easier, whatever way that needs to be. What I find fascinating though, is that, you know, everybody has a story within them, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience. It's always the person who says, oh, I don't have a story to tell. And immediately <laughs> like 10 minutes later, you're like, you are telling me the greatest story ever. It needs to be in front of freaking everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I find interesting is that people desperately want to stand out or they think they want to stand out or they want to be more human. But the minute that they have to go against the grain, the status quo, where they actually have to do something that makes them stand out from their competitors and they're not saying the usual boring stuff, right. they freak out. They get yeah. afraid. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you help people overcome that? Well, it's, it's like when I'm actually doing this with a client of mine in, um, I can't say where at the moment, but I will be able to next year, but it's in a very surf kind of city in California and it helps people. They, they're actually going after people who are in like women athletes who are doing hardcore athletic stuff. And they want to be able to explain to people that are coming in like me, who's not like, I'm terrified of the water, but I've been working on it. Like, you know, like not surfing, but like surfing, like the other day, my boyfriend was like, Melanie, you know, you could just like say that you're a surfer because you got on a surfboard and you surfed, like you did that. I'm like, I know, but like I'm not a surfer like that. And what they're trying to do is attract people like me who is like a little intimidated and a little overwhelmed by these really hardcore athletes who are out there like kicking butt and taking names. And I'm just like, okay, um, how do we get those people to it? And it's telling the real stories of the women athletes who are doing it and how they got started and where they got started. But all of them are like, I don't really have a story. Like, it's, I just like to surf. And it's like, mm-hmm, there's more to it than that. So being able to pull that information out of them so that they can realize it's not just a, like, it's your story is not as boring as you think because it's your story. So you think it's just like, well, it's just my stuff. Like, I don't really need to tell anybody. I'm like, but if you realized how much you changed lives by sharing your story, you'd finally start telling the person pieces of it. So having someone else kind of help you go, Oh, I didn't know that was cool. I didn't realize that was interesting. I should share more of that. And how can you put it together in a way that could be easily shareable without overwhelming people or people going, you're nuts. <laughs> so definitely a lot to that. <laughs> well, and I think it's even more critically important now since, you know, when we look back, I loved that example you gave earlier about the, you know, the housewife with the, mm-hmm. with the vacuum, you know, people used to spend a lot more time in front of people having those more conversational experiences when they were buying things, you know, whether they were being marketing to or sold to or whatever. And that's just fundamentally not true now. People are spending more time in front of their screens. Right. And so it's, 
that storytelling element I found is so much more critically important now, given how people still crave that human to human connection, even though they're starting to put more screens and more barriers in between themselves and other people. Right. And that, and that's why I just, I wish more people understood that while they may be afraid to go against the grain, to, to step outside their comfort zone, you know, to actually have to really stand out because it freaks people out, you know, like, oh, I want to stand out, but I don't, but like I do, but like, what if I say something wrong and like offend people and you know, blah, 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 blah. But like, you have to do that. That's the only way you're going to actually make a real connection with people because what people are looking for when they buy things now is they, they want somebody to very quickly through in an an authentic way to demonstrate that they know what I'm feeling. They know exactly where I've been and they've been there themselves and they know how to help me solve my problem. Right. And that's a very tall order. (laughs) It is. And it's, I mean, the, one of the original things that I talked about with branding was that branding is a feeling and branding isn't about the pictures or the colors or like whatever, but they, it's all of the things. It's every single touch point of whatever your brand is. And it's how do you make people feel a certain way with every single touch point? Like this color behind me that I have, we're, we're talking on a video screen in front of each other so we can at least see each other. But I have a bright pink color behind me. I'm not a pink kind of girl. Like I don't wear pink. I mean, I think I have one pink dress just because like it looks really good, whatever. But like, I don't like pink when it comes to that. But my brand has a lot of pink in it because it's not a girly kind of pink. It's more of like a bright pink that captures your attention. And that's what I'm really trying to do with my brand is like not hide anymore, but actually get people's attention and go, whoa, that's interesting. Like I send out pink like boxes when I send out my Speak With Confidence packages they're bright pink envelopes so people will not miss them in the mail but it makes you feel a certain way and it's a certain hue of pink that helps you get that way but there's more to it than just the pink it's the feeling of the whole brand so it's me being an approachable badass that's my title is approachable badass so i want to make sure that people understand like that's the feeling i want you to get from this is that you can be cool too like that you're going to own your own brand and figure out what your idea of your approachable badass is and understand that you can show up for yourself in whatever way you need to. So there's so much more inside the brand than just the color or the logo or the style or the even the story, but it's being able to tell the story the way you need to with the words you need to in order to make sure that you can get the brand feeling to the people that need to be hearing it. And if you're doing it all online, that's even harder, like you said, because the description of the Amazon product has to be written in a way that gets you to feel something a certain way or the colors or the style or whatever it is, but they all have to match together along with the emails and follow-up and all the other pieces of it. So you mentioned something there, you know, it's, it's all about this feeling. And, and I know this is something you talk about quite a bit in some of your different talks, which is, mm-hmm. you know, they may not remember all the details, but it's all about how you made them feel. Yeah. So this is where, you know, I think this is one of those things where I know back in the day, I would just nod along and be like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. So how, um, especially if you're someone like me or a lot of marketers that I know who are trying to evoke feelings through words. Mm -hmm. So it's so strange. It's like, so the words and the details and the things don't matter. It's how you make them feel, but the way you make them feel is through the details and the words, all of the little (laughs) different things. Yeah. So where do you even start with something like that? Like, I want to be a brand that makes someone feel, and I have like two blog posts a week to do it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a tall order. Where do you yeah. start with that? 
A lot of it comes down to the dictionary you're using. And I say dictionary very loosely. I, I build brand books for people. That's pretty much the only brand strategy stuff I do anymore is I help people understand their brand and then I help them build the dictionary around it. And that is usually something that people can do personally. It's not just for your business, but you can also do it personally. What are words that you say all the time? And the first thing I usually ask people is, go text all of your friends and family, maybe even just 10, but like friends and family, these, this sentence, what are three to five words that describe me? And then see if it matches what you would describe yourself as. Because I've had a lot of people come back and go, it's said that I'm driven and like hardcore and hardworking and like always busy and all this stuff. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> I want to be relaxed and comfortable and something, somebody, a friend comes to talk to and a shoulder to lean on. And I feel like I need to change my brand to do that. And I'm like, yeah, that would be a good idea. So figuring out how to understand who you are right now, even as a company, being able to survey your clients, like what are three to five words you would use to describe us? To be able to understand from their perspective, how can you make sure that you have that balance between what you are to other people and what you want to be so that you can start making sure that you shift that brand perspective. I would say that's the very first part of starting the dictionary or the book for it is actually describing what that looks like so that you can understand what you need to do in order to change it if you need to. I also think it's really important to, you know, to really empower your people as well, to have their own personal voice. And I think this is something that I've seen a lot of companies struggle with or not necessarily struggle with. Again, they just, they don't know how to put that initial one foot in front of the other mm -hmm. of, you know, once they have that really good idea about who their brand is, you know, is it one of the most common questions I get asked is, okay, so should the company be the author for everything we write? And it's like, no, no, no. like have your people write. Yeah. It's like, okay, so how do you have people who are individuals and unique and different and have their own styles and voices? And how, how do you make sure that we're telling a cohesive brand story when we have all of these different perspectives and voices contributing to the same, toward the same goal? I feel like you're setting me up for like all of the stuff that I talk about, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yes, another thing I know. So it's all, about, it's all about your hiring process and hiring for culture and hiring for brand because a lot of people will be like, oh, you seem like a really great person who can do this skill. When in reality, you're really hiring for the personalities and you don't want all the same personalities. Like I don't want to hire more of me, but my, everyone tells me, even my assistant Giselle, like when she writes back to people, they're like, she's so positive and she's so helpful and she's so lovely. And it just fits the overall brand, but she's her own unique individual. Like she and I are not the same kind of person. So being able to allow that environment to help people like fit the brand, because I don't want people who are going to say the F word in my business. Like I'll say it all day long, but I'm not going to let anyone say it in public or on an email or any sort of space. But I'm like, I'm, I own the kick-ass humans club and we talk about manifesting that shit all the time. So it's like, if you're not okay with that, you're really not going to want to work with me. So making sure that you can have that balance of, I don't need you to fit a mold, but I need you to understand the brand and be able to emulate that brand in a way that helps our customers understand that they're going to be taken care of in a certain way. So it's, it's hiring. It's your hiring processes and understanding that you're really hiring for personality because there's a lot of companies that are a little more, how, how would you say it? Like sarcastic where I would never be sarcastic and I don't hire sarcastic people. If you're sarcastic, you can't work for me because I'll probably be annoyed. But I just went to a workshop this past weekend and the guy who runs this thing is like, he razzes his people all the time and they love it. Like if he ever did that to me, I'd quit. Like 
the way that he like pokes at people like, oh yeah, you totally screwed that up. Did, what did you do? Crap your pants in front of people? Like that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that would drive me insane. I couldn't work there. But he hires for that culture and that brand where they like to just poke at each other and keep going and like razz each other all day. And their clients love it too. So it's not like it doesn't fit. It really fits who they are. You know what I always find funny too is how people, I, I saw this article and I almost just like chucked my MacBook out the window, but then I remembered I don't own the MacBook. I'd have to replace it and I don't want to spend that kind of money. Um, so I didn't do that. So I just was like really angry and I stomped my feet. Uh, culture fit is BS. I'm like, excuse me? Whoa. That's called you don't have a culture. Yeah. <laughs> But this is what's so fascinating about the content conversation, because that's really what we're talking about. Somehow we've moved from content to people, but really what people don't understand or brands sometimes forget to connect the dots with is that content and storytelling is a manifestation of what's happening within the walls of your organization. And that's your people. That's the problem (laughs) solving. That's, you know, the people you're trying to help. Like fundamentally it comes down to humans and that's, not something you can fake. That's why, you know, marketers, you know, we ruin everything. Words like authenticity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the problem is, is like we've said it so many times that I think people forget how important that is. That your storytelling has to be authentic. And in order for it to be authentic, you have to kind of live and breathe this ethos, this brand. And your people have to be the right people, you know, the right blend of personalities. Right. And it's also people sniff that out. Like if you're not being authentic as a brand and I don't care how buzzwordy that is anymore, but like if you're not being real, you're not going to get very far because people will sniff that out. I mean, watch politics any day of the week. You can see that people can sniff that out, but it has more to do with like even speaking, getting up on a stage, like you're a human being, you work at a company and you get up on a stage and you say stuff that you're just like parroting instead of saying the stuff that's really you. People will be like, are they, are they telling the truth? That's, I think, why a lot of people are like, oh, marketers are just liars. Marketers are just trying to dupe me. Because most people are really just parroting stuff instead of being themselves and actually sharing stuff where they actually believe the shit that they're saying. So how can we make sure that we're able to like balance that with, yes, we truly believe this thing and I'm being myself at the same time? Well, that's that whole thing that we come back to. Like when I've talked to individuals in the past, um, because I do a little bit of content coaching here and there, I've always noticed that there is this, one of the biggest barriers is once we get beyond like, I can't do this to I can do this. And I don't have a story to tell to I do have a story to tell. Then it becomes, but that's not what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) Yeah. And when my head stops, yeah, my head stops reeling. I'm like, okay, so there's another like excuse in the bucket. But then I realized that that is very real mm-hmm. because one of the biggest barriers can be a brand is put it out there like, we want you to contribute, we want you to do these things. You have this opportunity to have your voice be heard, to develop your personal brand. But then there are all these like internal machinations of, is this what I'm supposed to say? Is this how I'm supposed to say it? And yeah. that reluctance to just kind of lean in and really kind of own that, I guess, yeah, ownership does make sense as a word. Look at you. You might be good at this yet. It might be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) But to really like lean in and own what their voice is supposed to sound like and to see things that may be contrary. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that like, I've talked to quite a few people who are like, I don't want to say certain things on the internet because what if people come back and don't like me? And I'm like, good. (laughs) Not everyone's going to like you and not everyone's going to like, there's two different political parties for a reason and a whole bunch of other stuff in the middle of it 
for a reason because nobody is the same. Nobody believes the same stuff. Nobody has the exact same views, but if you can start challenging people's views and start getting them to think a little differently or go, you know, I never really thought about that that way. They might not change their mind, but it might open their eyes and their mind to something different than they thought before. Well, and the other piece of that too is like, let's, let's take a step back from this high level thing and think about it from a sales conversation perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that you're seeing, especially in the B2B spaces is that people are no longer looking for transactional relationships. They want to be strategic partners with the clients that they bring on board. And guess what? You don't just hire for culture fit. You work with people who also have a culture fit as well. Mm -hmm. And so much of that stuff, like if you are, if you're burying all of those real, true, authentic feelings and thoughts and ideas way deep down and then it gets to your sales team and they start having those real authentic conversations about what it really means to work with your organization that means you have a lead who got nurtured your sales team wasted a bunch of time on them and they ended up being a bad fit being authentic allows you to attract those right people and those right organizations to you where it's not just, Oh, you have the services and I have the problem. Let's put that together and see what happens. I'm seeing a lot more of organizations, not just people looking for shared value systems from yeah. the organizations that they're buying for because they're getting into bed with you now. They're not just like <laughs> buying one thing and like running away. Right. And it's, it is about the longer term relationships with it, but it's also the right relationships. Like I've hired people this year. I don't know what it is, but like 2018 has been the year of hiring the wrong people. And it's been like, uh, how do I, how do I get in these situations where your, your value system doesn't fit mine, where I'm just like, okay, I understand you have a different perspective on things, but you're willing to take me and my money without actually giving me anything in return. And that's not okay with me. Cause I, I overgive. That's my problem, I think, is that I, I'll have you sign a contract and then I'll be like, no, but we can just keep going with it. It's totally fine. Like, don't, you're not paying me anymore. It's totally fine. And then I'm just like, okay, I'm getting out of this. I need to get out of this space. But understanding who that person is when you're signing a contract and understanding who the organization is and what they stand for and why they are. Like, people talk about partnership all the time. And I know partner is like another buzzword that we're starting to use again. Mm -hmm. But it's that idea that how can we really truly be, like you said, in bed together where we're not fighting about everything and we're not having a hard time. Because I told, I told a whole group of people once, I'm like, what if you got to only work with that 90% of people you actually like working with instead of those 10% of people who drive you crazy and you don't ever want to work with again, but they take up 90% of your time. And they're like, oh my gosh, that would be so amazing. I'm like, it's not hard, guys. <laughs> like, it's, it's being able to choose instead of going, oh, but we need the money, so we'll just let anyone hire us. Oh, but we need the contract. Oh, but we just want to sell them something. Nobody wants that. They don't want that. You don't want that. Nobody's going to want that. So when we take a step back and look at this conversation, I would love to hear from you because I know people are probably listening to this and going, oh my gosh, this sounds great. I want to be a badass just like Melanie when I grow up. <laughs> so awesome. And I'm going to like own my story and do the thing, but I don't really know where to start. I know you mentioned asking your friends and family, whether it's mm -hmm. about your brand or yourself personally, like what are the words that come to mind when you think of us? But what do I do? Where do I go from there? Oh man, it really depends on what you want to be doing. So if you're a brand and you're doing this versus a person, there's different things you can do, but it all kind of comes down to the same stuff. So basically looking at your team. So let's talk about the brand perspective and say, look at your team and figure out like if you're one person or a whole team of people, 
Think about who do you want to be hiring? Who do you want to have on your team? And how do you want them to come across to other people? So let's say that you want to build a culture of health. You want to, you're, you're a fitness organization and you want to build a culture of health. So you want to make sure that the people fit a certain ideal of who, they, who, who that person is and the type of lifestyle they live. I'm not saying the size of people. I'm just purely looking at how do you make sure that when someone meets the person that they actually go, oh, this is totally the company I want to work with from a health perspective, whatever that thing is that they're selling. How can you make sure that they look like the types of people you want to attract as well? So maybe you don't want to just have tons of like super crazy fit people because you want people to know you don't have to be super healthy to come here. We want to help you with your journey. We want to get you where you want to go. And these are stories that you can see that actually can help you get to that because we understand, we get it. We haven't been like perfect, like fit people forever. So figuring out how you can make sure that you're hiring for that and that they fit the ideals that you're looking for. So let's say that people believe that you are an easygoing company that's not very hardcore, that's kind of like just trying to get you to get moving again, but when you really wanna be more hardcore. So how can you add more flavor into your brand? So a lot of that comes down to messaging and it comes down to how can we make sure that when we're attracting the right people, when it's people we have on our team or customers or the people that are walking through our doors, that that message fits that we're going to push you and you're going to, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to probably be in a little bit of pain and you're going to be sweaty and you're not going to look like that perfect little Lululemon chick who literally looks like she still has all of her makeup on. So how do you make sure that you can show that you're going to be doing this for people? When, like I said, it's a much, it's a huge conversation. <laughs> so it's like all the little tiny steps and how yeah. can you make sure your messaging fits, but going to the other side of it and the people, if you want to figure out your brand, literally everyone else knows your brand, but you. And I can give my own self as an example. Forever, people thought, okay, she's super friendly, but she's kind of hardcore. And she's like, I kind of think of her as a badass, but I never looked like it. I just felt like it, but I was like, I mean, like, okay, fine, whatever. And my boyfriend saw a picture of me from like eight years ago. And he goes, no, I do not want your gym membership. Because <laughs> I had like <laughs> long blonde hair and like a bright pink polo dress on. And he's like, you cannot sell me anything. I don't want your stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. God. The fact that I felt like I do now, but I didn't look like it on the outside really kind of helped me start going, you know, I need to stop thinking about what I worry about my mom thinking about my tattoos or how my head is shaved or the clothes that I'm wearing. I want to show up and feel comfortable in myself. So what could I do between, and it was little steps. It wasn't like, oh, I just happened to become me, the, day, the person I am today. I even look back two years from now or two years ago and go, okay, what were you thinking? <laughs> you don't look like yourself. How do you start doing that? And it's hard to do that, but it's not just an outside thing. It's also owning the inside and going, who do I want to be? As much as other people believe I'm a certain way, who do I really want to be? Like the person who is driven, but wanted to be more like cozy and snuggly. How do you want to show up for people that way? And do you know anybody else that you can say, that's the person I kind of like am emulating? Not the person you want to be, because you're like, I don't want to be that person. I want to be me. But like, who do I want to be? And how can I take those little steps to get there? So question, is there ever a line when you're talking with someone where they say, I want, you know, this is who I am, or this is what people think I am. And this is what I want to be. And that the house of tomorrow that they want to build for themselves is not really in line or authentic with who they are. Like, how do you know when you're aspiring in a way that is going to be ultimately inauthentic and be kind of a letdown just for yourself? 
So I actually, I had a lady come to me once who was needing a business brand and she was trying to describe, because I usually try to take the business brand, especially if it's a one person company at the beginning and take that brand to match who that person is as a, a human being. And I won't say who it is, but I have to say that it was interesting to have her explain herself because I'm looking at her going, really, are you? I don't really see that. And I don't see you becoming that ever. And she's still not that way. Like the describing, the way that she described herself was like, I'm really hardcore. I take really big risks. I like, I show up and I'm like super cool and I'm amazing. And I'm just looking at her going, you're wearing a black jacket and uncomfortable, like jeans that don't really fit you and really boring shoes. And your hair is like basic. And like, it was like basic kind of like put you in a box kind of person where I'm just like, there's nothing about you that stands out nothing. And you're like, Oh, but I stand out. And I'm like, to who? That's what I want to know. Like, who are you standing out to? And I couldn't for the life of me get this out of her, but she still looks exactly the same now as she did then. And I'm just like, literally, I don't understand the standing out piece. Like usually people are like, Oh, it's my red lipstick that makes me stand out or my bright colored shoes. It's something like at least something, anything. But there are so many people who are like, Oh, I'm totally different. And I'm like, I think you feel like you might be but there's nothing that shows me that you are like your actions, your words, your content, your, what you do. It's not just about your clothing, but I usually it kind of culminates in how you get on stage, whatever stage, whether it's a stage stage or like in front of people or selling people, something has to show up to really make you stand out because otherwise you'll just blend in with everyone else. So if you feel like it's happening, how can you make sure that you show that it's actually happening? But most of the time, people are just like beige couches and beige walls, <laughs> beige houses and beige lives and beige cars. And it's like, good luck. <laughs> beige life, that's, that's all you, but I can't help you with that. So what is one thing someone could do today, whether they're a content creator, a marketer, or a brand who's looking at their own storytelling and wanting to do better? What is one small thing they can do today that will make their storytelling automatically better? So a lot of it has comes down to digging for the story. So there's, I, I use the example of my boyfriend's mom. She is not a storyteller. She will literally just start talking and you're just like, is there a point to this? Or okay. She just wants to say things. Cool. And so we get to the end and I'm like, no punchline either. Good. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of kills you. And, and so many brands do that. So many people do that. They just tell you stuff for the sake of telling you stuff. When, if you can get to whatever the punchline is, like I'll give an example of Minnie. Minnie Cooper had a long time of being told that they were cute cars. So they did an entire campaign called Defy Labels. And they used humans to tell the story of how they were going to do it. And they used like a gay woman saying, this is a gay car. And they used like a hip hop artist. This is, this ain't car ain't hip hop, you know, that kind of thing. And they started talking about who they were as what, what they were labeled for so long. So they found a story in that. And at the end, Harvey Keitel goes, this car doesn't care what you call it and walks off the stage. And you're like, that's okay. amazing. But to be able to do something like that, to be able to take a story of what are other people saying about you and how do you want to change that? Or the other direction, what have you been saying about yourself for a really long time? And how can you make sure it gets to the punchline at some point? So finding that story and finding, it can be as simple as a 30 second commercial a 30 second story, a 30 second bit, whatever that thing is, how can you take what people have been saying about you and flip it on its head so that you can really show up for who you are instead of letting other people say what you want them to say or what you don't want them to say. So it's kind of figuring out who you are and then what you really want people to be saying about you and being able to flip it upside down. 
And it's finding that story. It's finding that punchline. It's finding that like little, like if I say anything about being an approachable badass, people are like, tell me more. And I'm like, there's a story behind it. So it's <laughs> how can you have that little bit of a story of going from not looking like I stand out at all and really wanting to, to becoming someone who actually stands out. Okay. So obviously you and I could sit here for 18 freaking hours <laughs> and talk about this, but if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? They can find me on melaniespring.com and, um, yeah, all the Melanie Springs. So just look up Melanie Spring. You'll find me everywhere. And you also have a really great event that's actually going to be coming up in September, right? It crushes me that I can't come to this, but <laughs> it's not coming up in September. It's in October, but the registration, registration. through part is the September. There we go. Yep. Yeah. So it's October 18th through the 21st. We're doing a thing called Speak with Confidence, and it's an accelerator on how to write your talk or workshop with other people so you're not doing it by yourself and you're not in your office, so you're not distracted. And we're doing it in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it's like an all-inclusive retreat where you literally show up at the airport and we take care of the rest. And you show up, you get stage coaching and you get time to write your talk. You get time to play with other people, time to really work on the different pieces of it and show up for yourself as your brand on stage once you're done with it. That's something where I remember the first time I saw the write-up for that event, I went, oh, but is this really for me? Who is, who is that event for? So it's a, two different types of people, either people who are content experts in the thing that they're really good at, like, like, you know, brand, you understand marketing. How can you get up there and talk more about content and making sure people understand why content is so valuable? So there's that side. So you can be in corporate or you can be an entrepreneur to do that. And then the other side is people who want to tell their personal story. And a lot of times we kind of share those things together. So one of our new accelerators is going to be this guy named Colin who lost the bottom half of his leg because of a bone issue where he was getting an infection which could have killed him. So he, started, he lost that part of his leg, but he lost, I think, about 100 pounds in the last year since he got his, his prosthesis. He started doing yoga. He started running. He started getting healthy. And people started asking, like, how did you do that after losing part of your leg? You got more healthy after. Like, this is yeah. ridiculous. And so he's wanting to share his story more, and he keeps getting asked to, but he's like, I'm not doing it the right way. So how can I share this in a way that gets more people to want to bring me to their conferences and inspire more people because it's his job to inspire humans. So yeah, two different kinds. We kind of get everybody. And where can people find out information for that event? I speak with confidence.com. Awesome. And then there was one other thing that you mentioned a couple times. I figured we'd save it till the end. Kick ass humans club. Yes. What is that? How do people find it? How do people get involved? So Kick-Ass Humans Club is just kickasshumansclub.com. It's a Facebook group that I have that is basically my little hideaway space on Facebook. <laughs> you have to look at all of the things everyone else is complaining about on Facebook. It's a no complaining zone where people get to build each other up, share what they're doing, share what they're up to personally or professionally, and ask questions and help get help for whatever it is that they need. But you have the only caveat is you have to be a kick-ass human to join or want to be a kick-ass human. So... That's my aspirational goal is to be a kick-ass human. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you're already a kick-ass human woman. Oh, so are you. Oh um, my God. Well, I'm the leader of the kick-ass human, so I kind of have to be. Kind of have to be. Kind of <laughs> have to be. Comes with the territory. Yep. Well, Melanie, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope we get to do this again soon. Yes, please. Anytime. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, Listening to that conversation again with Melanie, the one thing, you know, th that one thing we can all be doing differently starting right now to make our content better is, 
is so clear that it's basically hitting me in the face. We talked about a lot of different tips and insights that will help us all be brand storytellers, right? But the most important thing I challenge you to keep in the front of your mind going forward, whether you're about to sit down and write your next article, or if you're working on a talk for a conference that you're going to in the next couple of weeks, is to remember that fundamentally at your core, no matter who you are, you are a human that is creating and communicating to other humans just like you. Humans who want to be understood. Humans who, even though they may go out of their way to avoid your salespeople like the plague, they still crave human connection. Humans who want to know also that it's a human who is creating the words that they're reading or they're hearing. Again, it doesn't matter if you're someone who's developing their own personal brand, or if you work for one of those companies that you might think is falls into that kind of traditionally boring category. It doesn't matter. B2B, B2C, B2G, whatever. We are all creating human-to-human connections. That's what we're in the business of doing. And if that's not something you're keeping at the forefront of your mind every time you sit down at your keyboard or every time you take a stage in front of your audience, if you don't keep them in the forefront of your mind, you will always be behind the eight ball, behind brands and people that get that human-to-human connection. All right, so tough love aside, I have one word for you for this week's Weekly Awesome, and that one word is noisly. N-O-I-S-L-I. I introduced Noisly, which is a totally customizable and also, bonus, totally free, ambient noise soundboard into my life about three years ago when I realized I couldn't listen to music while writing because I'm basically three years old and I got completely distracted. But when I introduced Noisly, my life changed. And I know that's a pretty bold statement to make, but I'm I'm not kidding. My life drastically improved as a content creator the moment I put Noisly into my world because I had struggled for years to find a way to force focus onto myself when I needed to sit down, drown out the world, and let those stories that I wanted to tell flow through my fingertips, especially when you have those moments where you need to create on demand, where somebody says, you know, hey, need you to work on this project, and you know you have a finite amount of time to get it done. It was really hard to force myself into that mindset because, you know, Beyonce's awesome, but also distracting. But with Noisly, which has sounds like train tracks and coffee shops and a ton of other nature sounds like rain and wind, etc., you know, all that good stuff that you can blend together in whatever way you want, I was able to drown all of that out. My personal favorite uh, <laughs> is actually called Rainy Trainy. Um, I'm a big Amtrak train rider. Uh, if I can do that instead of a plane, I absolutely 100% will. Um, and it's just really soothing. Or if I'm feeling a little bit more like I want to be out and natural in the world, I have one that's like a blend of breeze and thunderstorms. But anyway, enough about me. If you want to try it, because there is science to back up the fact that ambient noise helps people be more productive, I highly recommend you check it out. So noisly.com, N-O-I-S-L-I. And you can use it directly through their website. You don't even need an account, although accounts are great because you can actually save, if you have particular blends that you like, you can save it to your account. Or also, you can download the Chrome extension 
or there's also an app for iPhone or Android. So give it a shot if you're struggling to really have those focused moments when you really need to produce great content, or even if you're just working on a regular project and you need to focus. I mean, this is not writer specific, but give it a shot and uh, let me know how it works out for you. But with that, um, okay, we're at the end of another great episode. As always, you know, subscribe to the podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, a bunch of other places. Um, you can connect with Content Lab Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to chat with me directly, I can be found at Naptown Pint pretty much everywhere on the internet. Uh, again, leave a review if you can. Uh, not only do I love the kind words, I also love getting found. And reviews are a great way for this little baby podcast to get found by other people. Uh, with that, though, until, uh, yeah, until next week. <laughs>